This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Waiting Room by Hobie Anthony and No Quarter by Lawrence Davies. Waiting Room, written by Hobie Anthony. Read by Anne Rushton. Listening time, three minutes. The security guard wakes me up again, pulls at my arm and points at my seat. They don't let you sleep in the Grady Quick Care waiting room. That's what the rule is. The rules are posted at the end of our row. I climb from the floor back in the hard plastic seat next to Mama, who is asleep in her chair. I make a face at little Tommy in his car seat. He needs a new diaper. A possum-faced man stares at me from across the aisle. He's a cute one, yeah, he'll be a right handsome little boy. Yes, he's cute. I look for that guard who is taking a bottle away from the smelly guys who've been walking around laughing at people. The possum guy moves one seat closer. His bald head bobbles around like a snake and his eyes don't seem to blink. Are y'all sick? My mom's sick. That's your mama? Yes, sir. It's really warm, but I pull a baby blanket around me and cover Tommy's face. Mom murmurs something in her sleep and leans over towards me. I use all I have to keep her from squashing me, because there ain't any more seats free. She's really hot all over, and I barely get her back up in her seat. How old are you? Twelve. That's real nice age, he says. I like being twelve, and I think twelve-year-old girls are the prettiest. His shirt is unbuttoned halfway, and gray chest hair sticks out from his undershirt like my Uncle Ray's when we have cookouts. Uncle Ray is just loud with a toothy grin and a few gold teeth in the back of his mouth. This guy's mouth is mealy and mushy, and I don't like the way sound comes out of it. Tommy's diaper really stinks. Look, sir, I don't know what you want, What we've been here almost a whole day, and I want you to go away, please. Well, young miss, you hurt my feelings, he says. That's just downright rude. I'm sorry, sir, I don't mean to be rude. I look for the guard who is busy with a screaming woman, but when I turn back, the man is gone. I lean over to grab a fresh diaper for Tommy, and I feel liquid between my legs. I can't stop it. It won't stop. I sweat. I'm breathing hard. My heart's pounding and Mom's snoring. When no one seems to be looking, I cover my lap with the blanket and I sneak a hand down there. Blood. I looked around to see if anyone noticed or if there's any way I can get away and hide and I can barely catch my breath like I've been running in P.E. I look around and I see the possum-faced man backing out of the waiting room, a guard pushing him along. He sees me looking at him, and he waves. He hollers, Goodbye! The end. Hobie Anthony received his MFA in fiction from Queen's University of Charlotte, North Carolina. When he's not writing, 
he can be found at one of Portland's disc golf courses. No Quarter, written and read by Lawrence Davies. Listening time, 9 minutes, 39 seconds. No Quarter, by Lawrence Davies. The man on the next stool whispered, Give me a quarter, or you'll be sorry. Had the Manhattan Tourist Board paid him to lurk in this steamy coffee shop at 33rd and 7th and give folks like me from out of town a thrilling touch of the expected? A quarter wasn't challenging, wasn't much to want. Surely a threat deserved at least ten bucks. And had it been a whisper or a croak? His sallow face was puckered like an apple from a wintry attic and the pink marbling of his eyes shone beneath his navy watch cap. His eyes were all but masked by the upturned collar of a desiccated leather jacket. Did the pockets hide a razor or a gun? Chancing that they didn't, I focused on my corned beef hash too over easy. Nothing happened. The hash was a rare hash, oddly red and juicy, red flannel minus the beets. He smelled a little, not of anything sour or fetid, but something pungent. Could it have been camphor? Could it have been myrrh? Doing my best not to peek, I felt him get up and go. Dum-dum, dum-dum, dum-dum. Sort of a trachaic rhythm, putting his better foot forward. He must have had a limp. Maybe he too was an actor, feeling out of part. Three more cups of wishy-washy coffee later, I paid my check, left a dollar for the crew, and stepped out into the den of 7th Avenue with a quarter still in my pocket, and not at all sorry. No one was waiting for me. Caution had cost me half an hour, but there was still time to walk to the audition, the audition that had lured me from Vermont. The lead in Moliere's The Miser, not every day does a part like that shimmer ahead of you. If I captured it, no more stints as drama coach in sullen middle schools or gigs as a warbling waiter at Killington or Smuggler's Lodge. No more for a blessed while. Maybe no more forever. Letting my subconscious do the work, I'd only bought a one-way ticket for the train. Prowling west, then south, I stalked that play, that part. On a normal visit to Manhattan, there were people on the streets to watch, to read them, learn them, mimic them when safely passed. This time it was only glimpses. Just enough to navigate. There it was, two blocks beyond 14th and almost at the waterfront, Snyder packing, still visible on the frontage, with a dim but realistic mural of a slack-jawed, trustful Hereford steer, ready to be packed. Okay, Nathaniel, or is it Nate? I want you over by the piano. It's Than. About here, 
Yeah, by the played-out upright, beneath a dangling bulb. I looked out at the director and her assistant. Seated at matching bridge tables, their quick-eyed faces lit by another naked bulb. Both laughed a lot, and both wore T-shirts that said, Comedy Kills. Go ahead, Than. For the first time ever at an audition, I went all gangly. My hands flapped, my shoulders wriggled, my legs had stretched three extra feet, my feet grown rollerblades. Only when you're ready. Business, business, what was my business? I'd had it all worked out, but now my memory had sprung a leak. Trying to control my hands, I shoved them in my pockets. My right hand came out with a quarter. Not much treasure by a miser's standard, but it would have to do. I would caress it, make love to it, bow down before it. The speech began, the long one from Act 4. After the first few words, I started to stroke the coin. It would not stay still. It writhed. It oozed. It had a pulse. It had gotten away, landing with a loud, wet smack, like a salmon fighting its way upstream. I struggled to save the situation and the quarter. On my knees. Yes, that was how. Behind their tables, my judges were laughing. Meantime, I was praying to the gods of theatre, let them be laughing with me, not against me. Kneeling, I picked up the quarter. It wasn't at all damp or fleshy. Now it was on fire. I held on to it with seared fingertips. But misers with cash in hand, even a modest two bits, shouldn't be seen in agony. Smile, then you smile, I told myself. And all the while the words flowed on. Finally, I had to drop it. The pain had gotten too intense. Let the damned coin burn away, melt away. I wasn't going after it. The chortling from the pair out front had turned hysterical, like I'd triggered off a riot. My knees were giving way. The quarter pulled me back and down to the dingy boards where it lay blazing. Now I was crawling, crawling after money. This was going to make me or break me. Without a pause in the speech, I brought my fingers close to the scorching metal, winced, and found it wasn't scorching anymore. Nor had it turned to numbing ice, just a normal, manageable temperature, so I could grab it. I did, and I was up and standing firm. The director and her hench person had quietened down. With an actor's ability to hear attentive silence, I was sure I had them with me now. On I went, skipping and striding towards the speech's end. But what was this? Did someone leave a slab of putrid meat behind? A stash of pig livers that had failed inspection? A slice of Hereford's steer? 
The stench of rot siphoned up my nostrils and down into my gullet. In my stomach, the corned beef hash heaved like a dead sheep on a hot day. My breathing faltered. My throat constricted. The speech had to finish. The ending was so close. The stench rose from my right hand. It smelled like Lear's of mortality. I flung that nauseating disc away, not caring where it went, wrestled with the final words, and when they were done, stood where I was, choked up with embarrassment. Well, that was different. Do you want your quarter? It had landed on one of the folding tables, was lying there in perfect innocence as though from far away. I saw it shining like a brand new star. Thanks, no, you keep it. A token bribe, an act of faith. That's a wrap then. We'll call you. Way up in the Green Mountains, right? Used to work summer stock in Vermont. Nice barns you have there. Any higher, and the director's eyebrows would have taken wing. They both were desperate, I knew, for me to leave, so they could start in on the post-mortem. And me, I was hauled away by the 6am bus the morning after. They didn't call, of course. I have stayed up in these hills, coming down for a little coaching here, a lot of warbling there, wondering where the money comes from next. Lawrence Davies lives in Scotland, where he writes, hunts mushrooms, cooks, edits Joseph Conrad's letters, and fondly remembers his days in New England and New York. He's also done a spot of acting. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by a grant from the Kern Family Endowed Fund of the Greater Cedar Rapids Community Foundation. Further support comes from the Google Grants program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.